So it was noted recently that I kind of like to talk about talking, uh, which is true. Uh, I, I have spent, uh, those of you who have been around St. John's for a while, uh, quite a few homilies talking about the art of uh, speaking with one another, because in part, I have to admit my own personal bias. I did study English lit. I like books. I, I love poetry. Uh, I, I love the art of communication. Um, but also, uh, I speak about it because it is a key part of what we as human beings do. It's actually a pretty important thing that we do. And James, in his epistle, uh, makes that really clear that, you know, the tongue, he puts it in more negative terms, the tongue is a fire set on fire from hell. But he also talks about how if we control the tongue, then it's kind of like, you know, the rudder of a ship. It's just a tiny little thing, but it, it actually controls the whole huge boat uh, and makes it go in the right direction. Uh, so communication is actually pretty important. And today, the feast that we celebrate is uh, one of the three great, well, they're, they're sometimes called in, in, in the hymnography, the, the three holy hierarchs, but in its origins, it was really the three great orators or the three great rhetoricians. Uh, uh, so today we celebrate these three. The, the story goes that there was actually uh, a, a big kind of controversy or kerfuffle uh, at, at one point in the church's history uh, where people were arguing over who was the greatest. And, they, and these three men were all amazing orators, rhetoricians, speakers, great saints, each in their own right. They all have their, their, their feast day in January. Uh, St. Basil the Great has his feast day on January 1st. Uh, and then I don't remember uh, when in January we have, uh, we celebrate St. John Chrysostom and St. Gregory the Theologian, but they all have feast days in January. Uh, and, and, uh, and so there was this controversy over which of them was the greatest. And they all are. I mean, if you look at their writings, uh, the recorded homilies, uh, uh, everything that we have of them still down to this, to this present day, it's amazingly powerful communication from these three men. Uh, and they, uh, so there was this controversy, which was the, which was the greatest. And uh, the story goes that they appeared to, I can't remember who, uh, but, uh, but I think it was a bishop uh, in, a, in a vision who, who uh, and all said, look, we're one in Christ. <laughs> there is no greatest. Uh, and so the bishop decided that to resolve the controversy, he would have a, feast day or begin a feast day uh celebrating all three of them together here at the end of january so this is the kind of the origin of of the feast um so i wanted to speak to you a little bit about communication and about uh, a little bit more about communication i guess and and about um uh, about these three men in particular and and how they used their amazing gifts uh in the service of the church uh, let's start with a gospel reading because uh, I actually have spoken a fair bit about communication uh, on this very gospel reading, the, the daily gospel that we just heard, where you have uh, the, the, the Canaanite woman. Uh, and Jesus, of course, was sent, as he says, to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, he was, he was 
Um, he was very focused in on his own people, on getting the message out to his own people, not because the message was going to be exclusive to them, but because that's the natural, that was the natural starting point. God had selected and prepared the children of Israel uh, to receive the Messiah uh, and, to, and to listen to him. And so he was focused on the people who were busily receiving him. Obviously, not all of his people did, but Basically, all the early Christians were Jews. And here this Canaanite woman comes. She's not a Jew. And she, she's calling out to Jesus and saying, Lord, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Please help her. And Jesus basically ignores her. And, but she, she persists. And she, she, uh, she continues to cry out to him and call out to him about, uh, about her daughter. And Jesus uh, finally uh, turns to her and addresses her and says, look, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And, and it's not right to take the, the, the little children's bread and, and, and throw it to the dogs. And her, her, her response is just so amazingly masterful in terms of its communication uh, that, that I always love to, to, to comment on it. And I'm doing so again now. Uh, she said, but yeah, yes, master, but even the little dogs get the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And, and he says, great is your faith, uh, and let it be to you as you desire. And from that very hour, her daughter was healed. Uh, so this is a great example of Christian communication, even from somebody who was not a Jew nor a Christian, because the Christians didn't exist at that time as such, uh, and, and, but, she, but, but who believed in Christ and, and simply humbled herself. And I think this is a very good starting point. Humility is a really important starting point for any of our communication. But I guess as I'm thinking about it, particularly in the context of the, these three great rhetoricians, I, I think it's good as a starting point, but it's not necessarily the ending point. Um, because uh, there, the, the, the art of communication is an art. It is something, and, and like all art, you have to work with what you've got, where you've got it, when you've got it. Uh, you work with the situation, work with the people, know your audience, know who you're talking to, uh, and, and, and then uh, work, use anything that is at hand in order to communicate your point. And, and the, to, to, do, to, to, to successfully engage in the art of communication as these three did, uh, you, these are, there, there's really no formula. So that's why I would hesitate to just say, well, just be humble. Okay, well, yeah, definitely be humble. That's kind of one of the foundational Christian virtues. Uh, and, uh, and, and that should be in there. But there's basic, when you're, when we're communicating, we're, we're talking about, well, anything and everything. And so we can, we, we can and need to and do bring anything and everything to bear, at least in, as Christians, we should bring anything and everything that is within the way of faith to bear as appropriate in our communication. Uh, so whether that be love, sometimes that might be even anger or condemnation or, or humor or satire or, or whatever it may be. And, and these three did exactly that and each in their own way. So St. Basil uh, was uh, a master of church politics, not, not, uh, but also an amazing scholar in his own right. He had all sorts of scientific and, and, and uh, um, 
uh, what's the word? I want to say taxonomic knowledge uh, at his disposal. And it shows up in his sermons uh, all over the place. Uh, he's, he, he's, he, he, uh, when he spoke, he spoke eloquently and with learning and erudition. Uh, so, so that uh, you, you, I believe, if I remember correctly, he even had like a sermon series on all the various different animals and, and the, the scientific knowledge that was, was available at the day uh, in that time uh, through uh, to, to, to just as a way of getting to his audience. He also talked about the value of uh, the, um, the sort of classical uh, literary works. Uh, Homer, which was not not exactly, which is just a little controversial for Christians, because you know Homer was actually uh, his Iliad and his Odyssey, great epic poems, are religious texts, uh, it, or were religious texts in that day for the Greeks, uh, and so there was controversy within the church over you know how to approach this, and Basil basically said, look, wherever they speak the truth, and it lines up with what we know and understand to be the truth. Take it, use it. It's good stuff. Uh, uh, and whenever they are uh, kind of are not aligned with our with how we understand things, use that contrast. Uh, this is really good stuff. We everybody should know it. Uh, and so he actually encouraged uh, the, the 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 sort of this continuity of uh, of the educational culture of his day, uh, but within a, a Christian framework and perspective. He also uh, um, was a, a great monastic. Uh, he founded lots of monasteries and he's kind of responsible for uh, the, the beginnings of the foundation of, of the institutions of hospitals. Uh, so he's a, an amazing, hugely important figure. And as I say, he was really good at church politics. He, uh, he, one of the things he did was he got his friend uh, St. Gregory the Theologian uh, to become a bishop. Gregory of Nazianzus, his friend, uh, really didn't want to become a bishop. Uh, but he got him in there and, and he and uh, St. Gregory the Theologian were staunch defenders of Nicene Orthodoxy. They, and and St. Gregory in particular helped to formulate the early Christian um, articulation of the doctrine of the Trinity. This was a difficult doctrine to present. First of all, the, the Greeks were polytheists, so you don't want them to misunderstand and think that there's like three gods, right? Um, but on the other hand, uh, there was this um, um, monotheistic tendency in Greek thought, which tended towards, you know, God just being this abstract monad, this one, this great one. Um, and, and that this, and, and and kind of correspondingly, that he was entirely spirit uh, and and completely, and therefore would never sully himself with something like, oh, you know, taking on a human body, the, the incarnation. Uh, that, that was kind of where what Arius managed to pick up and really run with, because he could he could kind of tie into that those those sort of Greek uh, philosophical prejudice, prejudices, if you will, uh, and and you know say, well, of course, of course, Jesus is actually God. Uh, but then the Christian church at that point was heavily engaged with, uh, so it's, it's, of course, bringing its Hebraic, its, its, its Jewish understanding of God and of 
Jesus and of the Holy Spirit uh, into the, uh, the Greco-Roman world. And so <clears throat> what St. Gregory the Theologian did was he took all those uh, um, Greek philosophical terminology and approaches and logic and used them to explain to his audience how it was that God could be three and yet one. And here I, 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 I may be misquoting because I always get St. Gregory the Theologian and St. Gregory of Nyssa mixed up. But just as an example, uh, he, one, one way of approaching it, which I think was St. Gregory the Theologian, check the uh, footnotes afterwards, uh, um, uh, was, was that, okay, as, as human beings, we all share a common human nature, uh, which... Uh, uh, so that is something that, in some sense, unites us. But because we, as human beings, <clears throat> are finite, uh, we are uh, we have bodies that keep us apart, and we are not united in terms of our wills. Uh, then we are also we are each our own unique and completely separate instances of human beings. Each of us is a singular human being, and we can't refer to ourselves as one. At least not yet. We're called to be one, as God is one. Uh, but, uh, but things are a little bit different when it comes to God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all unique instances, or hypostases, as, it's, uh, as, as the term goes, uh, of uh, the divine nature. Uh, they are, but the divine nature is what unifies them in the same way as our human nature unifies us. But because they are God, because they are all spirit, they co-inhere with one another. They, they, there's, there's no separation between them. Uh, you, you can't really count them, so to speak, uh, because it, God the Father is everywhere present and filling all things, and God the Son, as God, is everywhere present and filling all things, and God the Holy Spirit is everywhere present and filling all things. They're like, how do you separate them? How do you count them? Uh, and, 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 and more than that, they are one in terms of their will. Uh, they are one in terms of their, uh, their, their, their purpose, uh, and you're united in purpose. And so there is ultimately no division between them. And so we have to say that these three are essentially one. Uh, and so he used, as I say, Greek philosophical terminology like hypostasis uh, and, and, and um, usia for essence uh, and, and, and used that brilliantly in his own orations to, um, uh, to, explain to his Greco-Roman audience the essential Christian concepts that we had, that had been passed down from the apostles, from that Hebraic culture, uh, and, and he translated it into the language, the culture, the philosophical understanding of his day. That being said, he really, really didn't want to be a bishop with good reason. He was a poet. He had a sensitive soul. It doesn't work well in positions of authority. Uh, and, and, and so uh, he, he, I believe, if I remember correctly, again, let me just cite, uh, 
review my research to 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 make sure my footnotes are correct. You can you guys can do that when you go home. But but I believe he was actually uh, the leader at the beginning of the uh, uh, of one of the great ecumenical councils, uh, and then. <clears throat> He just couldn't hack the politics, <laughs> and he, he he withdrew and and retired from being a bishop, and then just retired to his estate and wrote poetry for the rest of his life. Uh, so so, uh, um, uh, but again, he used this amazing gift of communication to clearly articulate the gospel, just as his friend Saint Basil did, and Saint John Chrysostom. We all know him. He, uh, we're currently celebrating the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. But of course, he was this amazing street preacher uh, who, uh, you know, on, in, in Antioch, he, every day he would come down and he would preach on part of the gospel uh, to the people. And they loved him so much that when it was uh, uh, time to make him Patriarch of Constantinople, they actually had to smuggle him out of the city so that the Antiochians wouldn't riot, which they did quite a bit. And, and it was a bad thing when they did. Uh, St. John actually has a whole ser sermon series that he preached on, an, on a riot in Antioch, uh, and uh, which, which uh, um, apparently, I just learned, uh, he was kind of up in terms of his interpretation of that particular event, this is a tangent, uh, he was going up against his kind of uh, uh, mentor, Libanius, the great rhetorician, uh, and and the the scholars of there's uh, when I started to, to to search for this on Google, there ran up all, all these scholarly papers. The scholars love this, so they've got there are all these scholarly papers on this. And I think the the consensus seems to be that uh, Saint John's version of events carried the day because he was such a great such a great orator and speaker, and he he also was out there preaching daily to the people. So so and at any rate, he uh, and then when he when he came to Constantinople uh, and, and was patriarch of Constantinople, everybody expected him to be, uh, to just kind of let, let things continue as always, but he didn't. Uh, he wasn't content for that. Uh, and, and he continued to preach, uh, not quite as often because he had more, more, uh, more on his plate as patriarch of Constantinople, but he didn't go to all the dinner parties that they expected him to go to. Uh, he instead lived simply as a monk and encouraged his fellow clergy to live more simply and less lavishly. Indeed, he preached very often about the necessity of those who were blessed with riches using that gift, first of all, acknowledging that that gift comes from God, and then using that gift to help their fellow human beings. And one of his famous lines is, you know, that, that second cloak that you have just hanging there in your closet, you stole it from the poor. Uh, and and he could be like that. He could thunder away. So uh, uh, this is where this is where I, I think you, humility is a good starting point, but maybe not the ending point, especially when you're somebody like Saint John Chrysostom, because there were all sorts of things that he felt he absolutely had to address, uh, including the Empress Eudoxia's uh, lavish lifestyle, uh, which got him in her bad books, got him at the uh, uh, sort of um, she started to pull strings. Uh, and to get uh, things arranged so that he would be sent into exile. They managed, she managed it, they, she got sent into exile, and there was a great earthquake, and everybody in Constantinople assumed that the earthquake was the judgment of God on them because they had exiled St. John, including the Empress Theodoxia, who called him back uh, for a little while until he started 
uh, preaching about her again <laughs> and got himself exiled. And then, and then even then he was still like, he wrote. Uh, so communication obviously is not just about speaking. It's also about writing. And, and he would write and speak with people who, had, who, who came to him and, and, they, and he was still considered too much of a threat. So they kind of force marched him uh, uh, to a place of uh, further away, more exile, if you will. Uh, and it was on that journey that he became sick and, 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 and passed away. And the last words on his lips were, glory to God for all things. So I don't want to spend too much more time kind of picking apart the amazing contributions of these three great saints. Uh, I think, I think, but I think just to, just to sum up, I think what we can maybe say about all three of them is that um, they were learned, they studied, they valued knowledge, they valued uh, the ability to communicate well. And then they took all of this, these gifts that they had, but that they had developed through hard work and through learning, and they used them in the service of the truth. They spoke the truth powerfully. They spoke the truth humbly. They spoke the truth in love. And that is essentially what we are called to do. We are called to, uh, to take whatever gifts that God has given us, to develop them as fully and as thoroughly as we possibly can, and then to use that in his service, to use that for one another. We may not have amazing gifts of communication, uh, or, but, whatever, but we still have to communicate and we still need to speak the truth like they did in humility and in love, but powerfully and effectively, as, as effectively as we can manage, Use it, bringing to, to bear every bit of knowledge and, 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 and wit and eloquence and, and, and a love of, of, of science and philosophy and learning that what, whatever God has given to us. Uh, and as we do so, we too will be engaged in the same thing that they were engaged in. That is translating the tradition because we too are inheritors of a tradition. We too find ourselves in a culture that totally doesn't understand or doesn't get the, the, tra the tradition that, that we have grown to love and to know is life-giving and true. And so it's our job then to take that which we have received and to pass it on using our words, using our gifts, using whatever it is that we have to hand, knowing our audience, understanding where they're coming from, and, and, and drawing them in as these great orators did to their audience. It's no small task, but as we dedicate ourselves and our lives to Christ, as we acknowledge that every good gift that we have and are comes from him, our creator and sustainer, we too can do what we can with what he has given us to give glory to him as they did. Glory to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and ever unto ages and ages. Amen.